We're all looking for that special someone to spend our lives with. But marriage can be hard. Sometimes it causes husband or wife to do something drastic. Welcome to Michigan Crime Stories. Michigan Crime Stories is a podcast that explores murder, mysteries, and mayhem in the Mitten State. Criminal behavior has always enthralled us. It's when societies determine what is and isn't allowed. We assume heinous crimes are committed by monsters, individuals we dehumanize in an effort to make sense of their deeds. Their victims sometimes seem distant, just faded names in a passing headline. But the terrifying truth is that crimes are committed by ordinary people just like you and me. And many of those crimes happen right in our own backyard. My name is Darcy Moran. And this is John Counts. We're reporters for MLive.com and your hosts for Michigan Crime Stories. This episode is titled, Over the Edge. Michigan's vast, rugged Upper Peninsula contains hundreds of miles of wilderness along the shores of chilly Lake Superior. The UP is known for its majestic natural beauty, the Huron Mountains in the west, Tequamanon Falls in the east. Roughly in the middle of the peninsula are the pictured rocks. The Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore features pristine beaches, miles of hiking trails, and towering cliffs. Thousands of tourists flock to the National Lakeshore each summer, and that's where our story takes place, on a 140-foot limestone cliff overlooking the romantic, crashing, whirling waters of Lake Superior. Thomas and Juanita Richardson came to Munising and the Pictured Rocks on vacation in the summer of 2006. They came north to the UP from McBain, Michigan, where Thomas worked as a FedEx driver and Juanita was a secretary for the local school district. Together, they were raising their children. They wanted to visit their honeymoon spot, a small patch of land close to Miner's Castle with a breathtaking view of Lake Superior, according to Sonny Longtine's book, Murder in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. I reached out to the UP true crime author to tell us a little more about the ill-fated tale of the Richardsons. Well, they're they're from Lower Michigan, the couple, Juanita and Thomas Richardson from McBain, Michigan. Uh, And they were traveling the UP. They went to the Copper Country, et cetera. And they came back through Marquette, going east back to McBain. And they stopped in Unison. And they had apparently a favorite called Honeymoon Spot uh, in the Pictured Rocks uh, um, National Forest. It's on the Lake Shore, gorgeous area. And they went to this Honeymoon Spot. And apparently, or that is where where she went off the cliff. On June 22, 2006, Juanita Richardson's lifeless body was found at the base of the 140-foot cliff by vacationers on a Pictured Rocks boat tour. At first, it was considered to be a tragic accident. But the more Thomas Richardson changed his stories about what happened, the more suspicious officials became. Now, his story goes that um, they were there in the honeymoon spot, he had to take a bathroom break, so he went to the Clevenger Center, uh, where the, the facilities were, which is maybe a quarter of a mile away from where they were, where they were located on the cliff. He mm. said, then I came back, he said, when I came back, she was gone. He said, and I didn't know, so he said, uh, I'm afraid of heights. He said, I crawled to the end of the cliff and looked down, and I could see her body uh, on the rocks down below. And that was the story that he first told the uh, police. Well, uh, they questioned him again later on, uh, knowing that you know, 
that 58% of the time when a woman is uh, a woman is murdered, it's somebody she knows intimately, a husband, boyfriend, whatever, 58% of the time. So, and of course, uh, Thomas Richardson didn't know this, but so they're they're looking at him. So the, that night, then they inquired him again on what happened. He said, well, I came back after the bathroom break, and he said, uh, I saw her, and she looked at me and said, oh, God, and then she jumped off the cliff. Well, they said, you didn't tell us that story this morning. He said, well, I, she probably committed suicide, and so I didn't want the kids to get upset, so that's why I told you that that uh, other other story. Well, then the next day they query him again on this, you know, see what consistencies they're going to get out of him. And the third time, third time, he gives them a different different story again. He said, when I came back from the Clevenger Center, he said, I saw her, and then she stepped on a loose part of turf or something, and she fell over the cliff. So they now have three different scenarios on what happened to her. Obviously, those are red flags uh, for the police, and then. Uh, further investigation uh, went on from there. Prosecutors would later settle on a different theory, that Thomas Richardson pushed his wife off the cliff. What probably occurred in a matter of seconds, a simple push at the top of a cliff, took officials 10 months to investigate. In February of 2007, Thomas Richardson was arrested and taken to the Elger County Jail. Prosecutor Karen Barman called 23 witnesses at the preliminary hearing in an effort to prove that there was probable cause Thomas Richardson murdered his wife. All was not right in their marriage, it seemed. Then they start uh, probing into the, into the background of him and her and whatnot, and uh, they found out that there was some marital discord going on, uh, that he probably had a girlfriend. He was uh, financially in debt uh, to about a quarter of a million yeah, they had a beautiful log home, and he had a Corvette and whatnot. Richardson was philandering, and Juanita Richardson may have been seeking a divorce. I asked Longtime to elaborate about Thomas Richardson's alleged lover. Uh, he had a love interest uh, of a lady uh, named uh, Kelly Bopri. Uh, they had, within the last year, they had had 333 conversations uh, they had recorded, uh, and one just the night before uh, uh, he uh, quote-unquote, uh, pushed her off, off the cliff. Uh, he denied it that there was a relationship. She denied it there was a relationship. Uh, and they said that they were just spiritual friends, and they shared uh, camaraderie in, in, in the spiritual world. So, While there were no eyewitnesses who saw Thomas Richardson shove his wife off a cliff and no direct evidence, a judge decided there was enough probable cause to send Thomas Richardson to trial on a charge of open murder. During a highly publicized trial that lasted more than a month, prosecutors brought to light the Richardsons' financial difficulties. They had a total debt of $237,000 after years of living beyond their means. Prosecutors tried proving a theory familiar to fans of classic noir films, like Double Indemnity and Fargo, that Thomas Richardson was hoping to kill his wife, collect on a life insurance policy, and start a new life with his lover. And then uh, at one time when he, he had a neighbor, and one time he's probing his, this neighbor of his, his, his wife died, and he's telling uh, Richardson, Thomas, uh, about, well, he collected all this insurance, you know. And so and, and Richardson kept on probing him about this, you know. And the conclusion there is maybe perhaps, you know, if his wife died, that he could get that insurance money that he had in his wife, uh, 250000 would just about get him out. The trial dragged on. After five weeks, it was the defense's turn to call witnesses. 
Thomas Richardson's attorneys called a series of people to the stand who testified about what a good guy he was. The defense also revealed that Juanita Richardson had two affairs of her own during the course of her marriage, and that she once took medication for depression. The Richardson children testified on behalf of their father. Longtine was in the courtroom for much of the proceedings. I asked him about how Thomas Richardson appeared during the long trial. So you sat in court with him for a while. What, can you, do you have any sense of what kind of guy he was? He wore sunglasses when the trial started. The prosecutor attorney uh, protested this, saying, you know, we have to be able to look at his eyes, you know, and see how he's reacting, what's going on here. And so they made him take his sunglasses off. And he said he needed them because of, of a previous head injury that he had one time. Well, the Windsor has medical records. They never found evidence of that. Uh, so the judge did make him uh, uh, take the, uh, the sunglasses off. But for the most part, he was uh, he was pretty stoic and uh, uh, saw him chat once in a while with his attorney, and that, and that was about it. Despite no physical evidence and the defense's attempt to cast doubt on the prosecution's circumstantial evidence, the jury found Thomas Richardson guilty on first-degree murder. He is currently serving life in the Michigan Department of Corrections. Hi, this is Darcy Merton with Michigan Crime Stories, and I'm sitting here with John Counts, who uh, is my co-host and who told this story today. Hey, John. Hey, how's it going? Doing all right. Um, thank you for telling this one. Um, now, I think this is one I'd heard a little bit about beforehand, but it's still so striking in that, you know, this is at Pictured Rocks, and I have to bring up here that I've heard a couple people mention that we are the vacation ruiners on this podcast. Oh, really? I had not, I had not thought about that. Yeah, but I mean, how how striking was it to you that this was at Pictured Rocks? It's a really frequently visited place. Yeah, I mean, I've uh, I grew up going up there and and uh, hiking along the the beach there, and you know, it's a very popular area. And I hadn't thought about us ruining people's vacations, and I apologize for that. I guess we did we did one on Good Heart, and that's kind of a vacation spot. And what else did we do? Uh, the rest stop. The rest stop. Instant and as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, wow. But in any in any case, my my point more being, um, you know, this is a a really public place that people go to, and I think sure. you talk about it a little the end there, the lasting impact. Um, particularly on a place that is well-visited. Right. Well, you know, I didn't have any idea that this had happened there. Um, I guess I had never, I didn't really recall it when it, when it occurred uh, back in 2006. And, you know, it's, it's such a beautiful spot and you don't think about something this terrible happening there. And so I want to step back into the actual story and that being that, you, as we've noted before in this podcast, we are both longtime um, cops and courts reporters, have covered a lot of cases. And one thing that struck me in this was that the suspect in this case, eventually convicted, um, is said to have changed his story um, several times and quite drastically. And I'm curious, as a longtime courts reporter, what your thought was reading that. Um, you know, as you've seen people, you know, with confessions before. Well, I think, you know, just like the police probably thought, you immediately think that the person's, you know, trying to save face. You know, that's that's when your um, detector starts going off that somebody's not telling the truth. 
Well, I guess I thought that it was interesting in that a lot of times with people that eventually end up, you know, making pleas and, and therefore admitting to crimes, when they when you go back and look at cases where they had lied beforehand, they try and stick to a kind of similar story. And it kind of surprised me that, you know, by the end of the day, he was changing it fairly drastically. So I guess it comes down to whether uh, this was premeditated or not and whether he did this just kind of, or, or if he just did this kind of in the, in the heat of the moment. And usually if it didn't sound like he, he had planned out, if you, if you start telling lies and start making up stories like this, it means that you weren't prepared to be questioned about it, correct? So, you know, I didn't get too much into the... The, the, the court part of it um, but the jury did struggle whether to charge him with you know the range of murders from manslaughter to like second degree murder to first degree murder and when I talked to uh, Sonny, Sonny Longtime who followed the, the case up in the Upper Peninsula he said that <clears throat> he was surprised that the jury ultimately decided on first degree murder as a conviction, he felt that manslaughter would have been probably a little more appropriate because it probably did happen just kind of like in the heat of the moment. But, you know, obviously the only two people who really know what happened up there are Thomas Richardson and Juanita Richardson. And, you know, Juanita Richardson is dead and and uh, Thomas is still maintaining his innocence to this day. And what more can you tell us about their families? Were you able to get anything more um, from Longtine on that? You know, he wrote in his book, Murder in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, which is a a fabulous book, and I highly recommend it to any sort of true crime aficionados out there, especially those uh, um, interested in the Upper Peninsula. He kind of covers the the trial, and um, it it doesn't say exactly how many children that they had, but the children that they did have, it sounded like, sided with the father and testified at the court on his behalf. Um, you know, in, in one part here, it says, in tearful testimony, their daughter described her childhood as carefree and parentally supportive. They, her parents, would have done anything to make us happy, she testified. So, it, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how many children that they had, but it sounded like at the end they were um, on the side of their father. And it's, it's the, the tragic part is, is, you know, they lost their mother and their father. You know, their mother, you know, their mother died and they lost their father to prison. Well, it's certainly a terrible case in a beautiful, beautiful location, but I appreciate you telling the story, John. Well, thanks, Darcy. Um, Well, I am Darcy Moran. And I'm John Counts. This is Michigan Crime Stories. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned to Michigan Crime Stories for more episodes of Mystery, Murder, and Mayhem in the Mitten State.